Welcome to Angels Exits and Acquisitions, the place to learn how to fund, scale, exit, and massively profit as an angel investor or entrepreneur. Brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. Hey there, this is Jeff Barnes, CEO of Angel Investors Network, and we just did the podcast with a gentleman by the name of Todd Smith, CEO and founder of Blue Horizon Venture Consulting. Now, Todd brings a wealth over two decades of experience to the startup world and consulting with startups on their business planning process, their financial models, their revenue models and whatnot to help them become successful. And the cool thing about what Todd does is that less than 1%, you may not be aware of this, but less than 1% of all entrepreneurs ever receive any sort of funding beyond their own credit cards, maybe a, a personal loan or a bank loan, right? Most people never get that capital from outside sources. However, Todd's clients experience 50% success rates, which is pretty incredible. And of course, the proof is in the numbers. And you just have to listen to this conversation that we had discussing what he does and how he does it. And we talk a little bit about the democratization of capital. And you'll want to listen toward the middle of the interview about the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes to business planning. And go through that. Make sure you re-listen that because it's so incredibly insightful. We also talk about the difference between ideas, products, services, and creating a plan and what a strategic plan really is. Now, if you are an entrepreneur or even an investor and you love this idea of the Lean Startup, we talk about some of the flaws of the Lean Startup methodology and how strategic planning really comes in and fills those gaps. Some of the inherent weaknesses of most entrepreneurs and what you can do to overcome those and what the first sniff test is that every investor needs to understand before taking that next step into reviewing a business or an opportunity. So make sure you listen to this interview all the way through. Great insights, great information. And of course, check out the show notes at angelinvestorsnetwork.com forward slash podcast to see all the links that we mentioned in the interview. Looking forward to hearing your comments. Go ahead and leave those on the podcast page or in whatever subscription service you use to listen to this podcast. Thanks again. All right. Welcome, everyone. Again, this is Jeff Barnes, Angels and Exits and Acquisitions podcast with Angel Investor Network. And I'm here with my co-host, Erock. Erock, how are you doing today? I am well. Excited to have an amazing guest here today on what we're calling Memorial Day. So let's memorialize <laughs> this event. Yeah, that sounds good. There's no, no rest for the weary, right? So yeah, we're, we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. I'm really excited to talk with Todd Smith of Blue Horizon Ventures. And what Todd is doing is actually... Pretty incredible because he is helping startups and entrepreneurs go out there and raise capital using his services. And the statistics are less than about, I think it's even less than 1% of all companies that go out and try to raise capital ever raise capital from anybody other than potentially a bank. And Todd and his team have an incredible way of going out there and finding entrepreneurs and companies that have a chance of succeeding and helping them to build up a business plan and go out there and get funded. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the number of people that actually get funded using Todd services are over 50%. So with that being said, I want to welcome Todd Smith, CEO of Blue Horizon Venture Consulting to the call. How are you doing today, Todd? Very well, Jeff. And thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the road that you have traveled to where you are today is, yeah, I wouldn't say atypical of most entrepreneurs, but it is, it did take a very winding turning road, which is that you've been on both sides of the equation. Have you not? 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's a fair statement. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur. I've raised money for for my own businesses, but I've, you know, I've been consulting as well for more than twenty years and helping entrepreneurs. It's kind of a passion that developed over time, and and uh, yeah, I love doing it. Love helping, and, and it's uh, super rewarding to to see people build sustainable businesses and and you know hire people and and kind of add to the economy. It's it's just awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, most people are not born with that desire to just help the economy. So what was it that led you into uh, becoming an entrepreneur? And then from that, how did you transition from being the entrepreneur to helping other entrepreneurs with the process of raising capital, which is the least favorite thing for everybody to do? <laughs> well, I, uh, I started my career in the corporate world uh, with, with companies like IBM and, and Florida Blue. And uh, I gained a lot of great experience. I, I don't knock the experience by any stretch. Uh, you know, I worked in, in international accounting and, and mergers and acquisitions, competitive intelligence. So I was able to kind of build a nice little skill set. But I always had that entrepreneurial itch ever since I was a kid, whether it's you know, delivering newspapers or raking leaves or shoveling snow or whatever the case may be. Uh, I was always out there earning money and and. So, you know, there's that kind of underlying passion that I had uh, to do that kind of work. And so I, uh, I started my own companies um, and they kind of flopped miserably. I had a, a travel business that I started in the, the early 90s. And I you know, was at, at the time when, when all the Expedias and Travelocities of the world were just getting started and the Internet kind of blew up that whole industry. So the timing was pretty bad, but it was a you know a good learning experience. Failure always is, and um, you know so I kept going. And uh, you know some of the corporate experiences I had kind of drove me to back to entrepreneurship as well. Just kind of you know putting a lot of of time and effort into into things and not getting any reciprocal value back. So I ended up going back to to business school at, at UCLA. And the timing for that couldn't have been any better because you know, 1998 was kind of the dot-com boom was, was really rolling and, and it was kind of a, a neat time to be involved. And, and I actually started as a student, started doing consulting with, with startups. There was so many, so much money kind of flying around and startups just, you know, popping up everywhere that they, and really no expertise. So they were hiring students or any, any warm body, basically they could to, to come in and try to help them. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was the Wild West, literally. But um, you know, I gained a lot of valuable experience there. And you know, I've been doing it ever since for the last uh, 20 some years, 22 years. And you know, I love it. I love helping people get started. I love seeing companies form out of nothing, see people create jobs and add to the economy. And it's, uh, you know, it's really fun and rewarding. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So now, when you say that you love helping the startups and you love helping them to, to create the company's job, tell, tell us a little bit about how you help them. Because what you do is very specific to, you know, one specific part of a startup. It's not just, you know, you're not like an executive coach necessarily. You're not necessarily the, the marketing expert that's just teaching them how to do marketing to get their company off the ground. What you do is very specific. So I want people to understand exactly, you know, kind of what it is that the secret sauce that Todd and, and Blue Horizon brings to the table. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate that question, Jeff, because it's, um, you know, the, the earliest stage of a startup is, uh, you know, when they really kind of have to, to plan 
And, you know, when I say that, I, I think about some of the fads or trends that have gone on in, in the, the startup world, whether it's, you know, lean startups or developing MVPs. And I, I don't knock that in, in any stretch. I think that those methodologies make a ton of sense. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're starting a company, you have to do your homework. You have to plan, you know, you have to build a financial forecast. And, you know, you really need to do this work. Um, to kind of elevate your chances of success. And, you know, unfortunately, people hear what they want to hear a lot of times. And so they hear, uh, you know, investors don't want to, don't want business plans anymore, um, which may be true. They don't want to read crappy business plans because most of the ones that get done are pretty crappy. It does take a, a pretty uh, rare skill set to, to be able to um, do a lot of research synthesize that research and, and write a compelling story and vision about a company and be able to model the finances of the company for the first you know, five years of existence and, and understand all of those other areas like operations or HR or finance uh, or IP, any of those things that, that you, you kind of need to, to bring together a cohesive plan to present to people. And you know, going back to that research element, you, you know, if you don't understand your market and your competitors and your customers, you know, you're not going to get very far. And yeah, you might create a pitch deck that, that interests uh, some investors, but you know, when they start asking you questions and drilling down into to what you're trying to do and you don't have answers, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to fail. And that's because you weren't prepared. So the value of, of going through the, the business planning process on the front end is, is immense because you, know, you, you greatly increase your chances of success for raising that capital. And um, you know, strategically, uh, I think it's great to have that vision as well. And even if you're, you know, you're one of these organically funding entrepreneurs that doesn't really have to go out and raise capital, you still need to have that plan and that vision and that forethought to, to succeed or otherwise you're kind of chasing your tail and, and making mistakes and, and a lot of bad things can happen. So uh, that's kind of my, my soapbox about, about business plans and, and funding packages. But I, you know, I think it's pretty relevant and, and true. And um, you know, the, the proof is in the success rate when people do it and, and they're um, you know, focused on implementation, you know, they succeed. And when they kind of do it halfway or don't do it at all, then, then they, you know, more often than not, like we said, 99% of people fail. So pretty obvious, the right way to go. Um, people like to shortcut and, you know, there's not much you can do there, but, you know, we're here to help if, if people want to do things the right way. So Todd, uh, I'm curious, you, you've been doing this for quite some time, long track record of, of obviously of success and knowledge and learning what would you say is something that's that's really different now that like within the last five years that you've seen evolve over perhaps like a decade ago? And then what would your prognostication where you think maybe the future of raising capital might be going in like five to 10 years from now? Well, that's a great question too. And, you know, the really cool thing and it harkens to your business with uh, Angel Investors Network is, is the democratization of capital and crowdfunding just kind of come down in the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, I was really involved in that right from the get-go of the Jobs Act being passed. And I attended a lot of these uh, crowdfunding conferences and tried to stay in, in tune with, with all of that. And, you know, it's, it's still a work in progress. Obviously, 
you know, when you've got a lot of hurdles, governmental hurdles with the SEC and a lot of the hoops they make you jump through, I think it's kind of being dealt out right now and both sides are kind of going through the, you know, the, the government side and the business side is pushing back and saying, hey, let's raise some of the caps on loan limits or, or raise limits and let's reduce some of the red tape. And then the government's saying, okay, well, we're concerned about fraud and, and other things. And, you know, as we gain experience in crowdfunding, then I think, you know, it just opens up more of those avenues um, for, for startups and early stage companies to, to raise money that way. So that's, that's pretty exciting. You know, I do think investors have become a lot more selective after you know, the dot-com implosion and after the, the mortgage meltdown. Um, they're, they're pretty cautious. And so raising money pre-revenue is really hard to do. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, but so finding ways to bootstrap uh, early raises and seed raises in order to get you past that MVP stage and get you post-revenue to where you stand a much better chance of raising capital is really kind of the way of the world these days. And so it's it's a lot it's a lot more difficult, I guess, in the super early stage. But if you kind of follow the framework and, and kind of how things are done, it, it can be done. So that's those are my points anyway. So I'm curious you know, obviously you come from a pretty credible background career, having worked in corporate America and some very you know, valuable sectors and you're going along this journey. Do you, was there a moment where you recall really kind of like having this clarity moment of clarity and epiphany, if you will, of like, Hey, this is where I'm like really talented and gifted at. And then do you remember the process or do you recall like the feeling of having helped to fund that first company that you worked with? Yeah, and ironically, it was a, an online mortgage broker company. And I was a student in business school, my first year of business school. And, you know, they, they just kind of put out a, a desperate plea for help and say, hey, we need somebody to help us to write a business. I didn't, didn't know much about it. I, you know, I was studying it in school. But, you know, I was able to do that work and pull, you know, tons of research together and, and on the industry build something compelling and it was a fun process you know i learned a lot that's one of the things i love about what i do and i i get to work across a broad spectrum of industries and stages of growth so uh, i get to learn a lot constantly uh, and that kind of fuels my passion for for doing this because i'm always learning something so that first instance in my first year of business school in the middle of the dot-com era was was kind of the, the fire that lit under me and i said wow this is this is really cool i could actually make a living doing this they were paying ridiculous amounts back then but um you know it was still i knew that you know the client was super appreciative they were successful you know i made some money while i was a student i was like this is really cool i'm you know, a poor graduate student and now i had you know, thousands of dollars in the bank and you know, i could turn around and do this over and over again and um and build my business as well. So it was, it was really cool. And there was no turning back from that point. It was just something that I was good at um, that helped other people. And it was kind of a win-win across the board. And, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm still going strong 22 years later. Nice. Now you said something earlier that I think is really important for anybody to understand, which is you said, you know, there's strategic vision that's built when you go along and create the business plan itself. And if you do it correctly, then it helps strengthen the organization. It helps to build up that vision, right? 
if you don't do it at all, you're unlikely to get raise capital to begin with, or your your business might flounder. And it made me think about the seven P's that we use in the Navy, which is proper planning prevents piss poor performance. And uh, you know, I, I love saying that because one, it's just easy to say, and it's kind of funny. But uh, on the other hand, it's so true, right? The, the companies that do the most amount of planning on the front end, even though they don't think they need it, they think they know the product, they know the service, they know their market, they're just going to go out there and wing it and figure it out. But then you get down the, the path and you realize, oh, wow, we didn't think about this or we didn't take into account this competitor or this market dynamic. So when you start thinking about the, the customers, the clients that you're working with and how you're helping them to build a strategic plan that will help them go out there and raise capital or launch their business, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that they face when, you know, let, let's say, for example, the 30% that have already hired somebody that's cheap, then they come to you and they're like, hey, fix it. What are the biggest mistakes that they're making when they're going out there and trying to do it on their own? Yeah, Jeff, that's a good question. I think there's, there's a lot of mistakes they can conceivably make. And I will say that, you know, when you think about this, Lean startups say basically go out and create a product, go sell it, and then create it. So you're not wasting all this time planning. But again, I go back to people hear what they want to hear, and it's like, oh, I don't ever have to plan. And that's that's the, the big error. And so they end up flying around by the seat of their pants and making all kinds of mistakes. My process, and I think it bears itself out, is to really start with finances. That's my background, but I also think that you know, your financial plan is kind of the skeleton of your entire business and you, know, you build something without a skeleton and it's just flopping all around and, and it doesn't have any structure. So, you know, I like to do that first and I'll take somebody through the exercise and say, all right, tell me about your revenue model. You know, what are your products? What is the potential volume of sales? What is your pricing? And I walk them through this process. It forces them to think, first of all, a lot of them haven't done any of this critical thinking. Uh, but we go through you know, and we talk about the revenue model. We talk about their expense models. We talk about you know the people they're going to hire. And, and people are a little bit myopic when it comes to starting their business because they're thinking about you know what's going to happen in the next month, what's going to happen in the next three months. And I'm pushing them down the road. And I say, I want you to think about what's happening for the next the first five years of this company. You know, who are you going to hire in? When are you going to hire them? Why are you going to hire them? What kind of capital expenditures are you going to need to to get this thing up off the ground? And that's that process is really powerful because you know it, it not only does it help me to create their financial model, which kind of leads you to okay, what's the potential value of this business? You know, when and how much capital am I going to need? But it helps them, you know, think about their operations and their their HR plan and you know, their product and resources and all these things they're gonna gonna have to do. And then, you know, once we go through that process, I like to go back and I, I say, okay, well, we have to research this market and understand that you know what's happening in the market, not just in the past, but you know what the the trends are looking like and what the future may hold, and understanding the customers and the competition and and where your space is in that whole market. And it's possible to go through this process. And I've had it happen a, a number of times where you're kind of analyzing the feasibility of this business and, and you end up killing it because, you know, you, you do this work and, and it's good. You know, I can't remember the expression, but it's, you know, kill it fast and, and move on to something else versus, you know, pumping a bunch of money into something that that's ultimately going to fail. 
Um, so fail fast, I guess, is the, the expression. Yeah, so fail fast and fail forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. So doing that, that leg work, I think is, is super valuable. And then, you know, if, if it passes that kind of feasibility sniff test, then you can go in and, and flesh out the remainder of the business plan and, you know, all of your operations and, and finance and marketing and, and all that great stuff that, that goes into it. I wanted to make sure I, I highlight a couple of things there because you just talked about some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're planning their business. So I, I've been a lean startup coach, trainer. Um, I've gone through Osterwaller's methods, Eric Rees. You know, I, I've done all this stuff and I help facilitate it. And you're exactly right. Like people hear exactly what they want to hear, which is you don't need to plan. You have a great idea. Go test it. See if it works. But they don't get to the point of does anybody else even consider that this is a potential opportunity, right? They, they just think that they're going to build this MVP of this prototype because they had a problem, right? And there, there's a, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of us will say, oh, well, I invented such and such. It's just I didn't actually do anything and somebody else got all the credit for it. Like how many times have we seen something come to the market? We're like, you know, I thought about that a few years ago, but you didn't do anything with it. And so there's the people that think about a great idea, but they don't do anything about it. Then there's the people that jump really quickly into creating something, but they haven't even tested the waters to see if there is something. And so I think what you're kind of hinting at is that there, there's a there's a fine balance between this, right? There's the balance of, hey, I have a really cool idea and I think that it could actually make money. It could potentially turn into a product or an actual business. God forbid, you know, you only create uh, one product and that's it. You want to actually create a business around this. But once you take that next step into, okay, I have something solid here. The majority of entrepreneurs are not business people. Like, let's be honest. We, we throw this word out, entrepreneur, just so readily these days because it's sexy, it's cool, everybody likes the idea of you know being with Gary Vee and talking with him about entrepreneurship or being on the next show. Entrepreneurship's not sexy. A lot, what a lot of people are is maybe they're inventors, maybe they're visionaries, maybe they're thinkers or tinkerers, but they're not really the entrepreneurial leaders that go out there and build a business. So the misunderstanding is that once you have a product idea or even a service idea, it's not a business idea. And until they've gone through that planning process, they can't really turn that product or service into an actual business. I think that's kind of what you're hinting at, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a balance there. It's not that we're throwing out the, the whole concept of business plans. And it's also not that you have to dive right into one you know, the minute you have an idea. Um, I think there's a, a balance between that that MVP creation, lean startup uh, ideology, and and then once you've kind of you know proven your point there, then it's time to do that strategic planning, dive into it, build everything out. Um, yeah, I've had a fight against that for the last probably. 10 or more years against this idea that business plans are dead. They're never going to be dead. Um, but it's just that, you know, people want to always push that easy button and, and figure, Hey, I can throw a pitch deck together and, and people are going to throw money at me and it doesn't happen. It never happens. So. But wouldn't it be nice, right? Like that's the, that's the business that I'm in, right. Is, is getting up there and raising capital for our ventures, for our companies or, or helping people learn that. And we're actually going through this ourselves here at AIN. And by the time that this podcast is aired, we'll have made the, the announcement of what we're doing. But we have to go back and we have to plan out the next five, 10 years. And one of the greatest quotes I think I ever heard when it comes to this stuff is that the majority of people barely think past the next meal. 
right? They, they barely think beyond what they're going to do. That's why so many people just, they decide at 4 p.m. what they're going to do for dinner at five o'clock and they just go to McDonald's to get the drive-thru, right? Um, so the majority of people barely think past the end of their own nose. There's maybe that mid-level manager person that might think the next week or the next month. And then you have the senior managers that are like the next quarter. And, and then you get to the executive level. Yeah, they're thinking maybe one, five years out. But the brilliant people, the ones that we would consider the, the foremost leaders of society, of business, they're thinking decades right. out, yep. right? And they're, of course, none of us can tell the future, but they also have uh, the Napoleon Bonaparte mentality, which is I will create my own future. And they, they go out there and they, they start implementing, but it can't happen unless you do your research, you have a plan, and you start executing towards a plan. And it doesn't mean that the plan never changes, right? I mean, we always have to pivot on plans because nothing turns out exactly like we want it to. But um, yeah, I just love that, that, the whole idea that you have to start thinking a little bit further down the road about your business. You can't think just what the next week or the next pay, pay period is going right. to look like. Yeah, and over the years, I've kind of found that that um, regardless of, of um, an entrepreneur's background, their, their inherent weaknesses tend to be in finance and in, in marketing. And maybe that's by virtue of the, you know, even the people that are educated in, in our business schools, like I've been, you know, there's, there's knowledge that's lacking and, and that can be you know, sales or you know, direct response. We've both been involved in the, the, the Dan Kennedy world of direct response marketing uh, or technology and you know, none of this stuff you get taught in school. So you kind of have to self teach uh, some of that and, and, implemented into your business and um, so so I go back to the idea that that uh, no man is an island and so regardless of how you're building out your business um, bringing other people in to help you in, in those areas where you're weak is super critical and building a team you know even if you're a solopreneur you, need, you still need a team around you you need advisors you need help you need an accountant or a controller or you know a a part-time CFO or whatever the case may be. And yeah, I think some people still kind of harbor that, you know, my IP is super special and my business is mine and, and they don't open up uh, to the outside world enough to the point that they can kind of be successful if they, if they bring these other people on board and share their ideas. And uh, there's, there's really, uh, you know, ideas are plentiful out there and the, the ability to execute on those ideas is what's super critical and what's rare. So, um, you know, that's the, I think that's part of the key as well. And, and you, when you go through this whole business plan process, you can start to recognize your own weaknesses as well and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not a numbers guy. This is not my strength. I need it. I need somebody to come in and help me with this. Or, uh, you know, my tech skills are horrible. I don't know how to, you know, write an email. So I need to hire this A, B and C company to come in and do, you know, do my marketing and social media. So, yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into it, but, um, at least going through that process is very eye opening for a lot of people. And then they can, can learn to, you know, fill in the, the gaps. And, and kind of make themselves into a, a more sustainable, viable venture. So I want to ask a couple quick questions here, kind of hopefully one is related to the other. So you, you discussed that you have this excellent track record of helping the clients that you work with get, get funding. I think Jeff alluded to like less than 1% of all companies that go out seeking capital are able to effectively raise capital. Um, so what would you say is, how are you able to uh, 
like what's the process or, or, or without revealing anything that's too proprietary or secret sauce, but maybe there's one or two things that you can advise people on what they should absolutely make sure that they're doing when trying to raise capital when it comes to their business plan. And then two, are you also helping them to seek out the investors to in creating introductions to help them raise capital or do they take your business plan and coaching and, and go into the forest and battle for themselves? Yeah, great, great question. Thanks for that. Uh, I'll answer the second part first. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we put our money where our mouth is and, and help people, you know, go out and raise capital. So, you know, because there, I think there are a lot of misnomers about raising capital as well and under, you know, Understanding how investors think is is important. It's important when you when you develop a business plan because they're the audience. So um, most of the time, now if it's just a strategic business plan, they're going to have all organic growth. You know, maybe you write things a little bit differently than you might otherwise. But uh, I always start with the audience in mind and, and understanding. You know, and again, going back to building that financial model, well, that financial model kind of tells you, hey, we're going to need this much capital. Well, I understand how much capital I'm going to need. That kind of dictates uh, the types of, of uh, investors or lenders that you might get involved in your deal. And then you can kind of target them accordingly. So, you know, there's there's some percentage of the, that failure to raise capital that has to do with, with writing a bad business plan and not doing your homework and research. And there's another part of it that is not understanding the process and not, you know, aligning yourself with the investors who, you know, are going to invest in your stage, uh, in your geography, or in your industry. And you want to have those those things kind of teed up as well. It says, hey, I'm, you know, these this person might invest in seed startups here in Florida and in the healthcare industry. So you're matching the right investors with the right deals. Um, and then from that point, it's up to you to kind of sell the deals. Now, my uh, experience over the years, at least from the investor perspective, is that you know, one of the, the first things they look at to pass their sniff test is the, is the, uh, the numbers and, and the team. And those are, to them, those are super, super critical. You know, is this, a, is this business capable of giving me the returns that I seek? Um, and is this team capable of executing on, on this idea? Those are the, uh, the big two from the investor side. And if you don't have those things ready to go to, to kind of pass that initial test, you're not going to get it anywhere. Um, you've got to get over that first hurdle and then you might get second, third, fourth meetings and, and get to due diligence and get a term sheet. Uh, but only if you, if you pass that initial test. And, and so, um, from that perspective, I think those are the, the critical issues. And when you're a, a you know a lone wolf entrepreneur, it's not saying it's impossible to raise money, but you still have to create that team of advisors and you know people that are contractors, people that are helping you out. And then I think if you have those things in place, you have a, a good business plan backing up those ideas. And then when you go out and you match up correctly with the, the stage, geography, and, and industry. Yeah, you stand a pretty good chance. You've 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 done a lot more than the vast majority of, of startups out there to kind of put yourself in the right position. Now, whether or not you'll still get bites is you know remains to be seen. That you know, kind of gauge the the activity in your your industry. Some industries are hot. Some industries not so much. And 
So, um, and then if you don't have a track record that, that can, that can hurt you as well. So maybe you need to go out and find a, a co-founder or somebody who can uh, kind of take you to that next level. And, and uh, yeah, so there's, there's ways to mitigate those, those shortcomings um, with any business if you're willing to do it. And, you know, that's really the, the trick. Love that. So, you know, Todd, I'm just being mindful of time here, kind of looking at what we got. We've already got a lot of great bullet points here and, and insights that I think that, any entrepreneur can use and then the investors too. Let's go ahead and transition just really quickly over to, you know, that target audience, right? That's the one thing that it gets to be a challenge for entrepreneurs because when an entrepreneur is going out there and they're, they're working on their baby, they're building their baby, whatever that is, their widget, their product, their business, their service, um, they are focused, if they're really good at it, they're really focused on the experience of their business, their product, their service for the consumer, the end user, whoever that might be. But now they have to put their minds in a different place to raise capital. They have to think about somebody that's maybe never going to even see the product or the service or use it and never experience that. So they have to transition to putting themselves in the mind of that customer, right? The the investor customer. And like you said, I love that idea. The first the first test that you have to pass is that sniff test of your numbers. Do your numbers even make sense? Does your team even make sense? And that's that that obviously makes sense to us because we've been going through this and we know that we invest in the, the jockey and the horse, not just one or the other. So we're always looking at the combination thereof. But when the investor is looking at a business plan, what is something beyond just like that that sniff test? What is it that you know, they're looking at to say, let's just say they have 10 different opportunities. What do you think is going to be the one that really stands out? Is it going to be their their intent to focus on a specific industry, a specific sector, or is it really coming down to the team? Because, and I'm just going to give you my thoughts on this before I let you answer. My thought is that it's not a pure financial game. I don't think that that's the number one reason that people become an angel investor. I really don't believe that. There, there's a few people out there that are looking to hit that home run. That's all they want to do. But they're generally not those people. So if we were to take that off the table, and unless, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this one, but that's just the, what I've seen. But if that's not the case, what do you think it is that, you know, an investor is looking at when they're sitting across the table um, with that entrepreneur having a discussion? Let's say, uh, assuming they've passed that initial test. No, I... I think a lot of it comes down to personality and if it's, you know, someone they like that can make a huge difference. Um, you know, there's, they want to help. I, I do think there's an element of, you know, that financial return. And a lot of these, a lot of these guys think in terms of, Hey, you know, I know I'm going to go into 10 deals and, you know, maybe four of them will hit two of them will be marginal. Two of them might be home runs and six of them I might, completely lose my money outright now, so, so they have that mindset that that not every deal is is you know a winner but they you know they look at things like is is, is the business scalable um you know is there a market for this is there a social impact um yeah, and i think we're seeing that more and more these days where um, that becomes a, a very important determining factor is it is this business helping solve one of the world's problems um, and a lot of a lot of investors um, you know, kind of lean that way, which is very cool. Um, don't get me wrong; I think that's that's pretty awesome. So, um, you know, that helps if you understand 
um, the people you're talking to and what they're all about, uh, the investors uh, as your audience, uh, I think that can be very helpful. And you know, sometimes it's just a, a personality fit too. It's like these these people just hit it off and, and there's something that clicks between them and, and, and they invest. So it's a lot of, I guess, shaking hands isn't the, the way of the world these days, but it's, you know. It's the intangibles, right? It's the things it's that a lot you can't really. Zoom meetings. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it's the things that you can't necessarily put into a business plan. Like you're going to love me because I'm really cool. And I love to take care of, you know, the, the, the starving kids around the world. Right. Like, Right. You might get that in a conversation, but I think what it comes down to, and you make this this undertone of your point, is that you have to get out there. You have to like know your stuff. Like you, first and foremost, you have to know your business, your market, your industry, your numbers. Like if you don't know your numbers, just don't even go in the door, right? Um, but let's assume you know all that stuff. The next thing is getting out there and finding the strategic fit, right? We used to in corporate VC, we'd always call it a strategic investment. But as the entrepreneur or the investor, you're looking for that strategic fit because, you know, you could get 10 deals and let's say all 10 have the same chance of success of, of winning. The one that they, the investor is likely to go towards is the one that's more strategically aligned with their passion, their purpose, their vision for their life, or, you know, some, you know, pet project, maybe even who knows. But yeah, I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah. And it's, it's smart money, you know, when it comes down to, you, you have someone that's, going to dump some money into your business. You have two, let's say you have, you know, person A, person B, person A just gives you money, kind of leaves you alone. Person B might have, you know, connections in the industry. They might have some, you know, big customers that they can introduce you to. There's a lot of things in a lot of ways, a smart investor or smart money can, can help your business beyond just being a you know, capital infusion. So that's, that's something to think about too. I mean, there's a lot of value in that as well to, to kind of help the business in ways that are beyond just, just financial part of it. So, so one question I'll, I'll ask, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you, Jeff, is do you feel that it's feasible now for companies to be able to bootstrap their way to the top or is raising capital really a full-blown necessity these days? You know, I think... Um, bootstrapping and, and organic growth is, has its merits and it, a lot of it's going to depend on your, your revenue and your business model, how, how that looks on paper. And again, it goes back to, you know, I kind of flogging the horse, but it's uh, understanding your numbers and, and your finances kind of dictates that. And, and, you know, bringing in capital is, is kind of the rocket fuel for your business. If there's an urgency to be first to market or, you know, to do, let's say you don't have have the IP uh, to protect your company you just you just have to move fast well organic growth might not be the way to go you better you know get some capital in there and, and get off to the races uh, or somebody else is gonna kind of kind of copy your model and, and beat you with it so it, it totally depends on the situation and uh, but I think leverage uh, in terms of, of growth and speed are, are, are really key so and again, it goes, you know, think about the type of venture. Is this, a, is this a lifestyle startup for somebody who just wants to, they just enjoy this business and they don't really care if they make, you know, tens of millions of dollars or is this a, you know, scalable, you know, high growth type deal where, where you really have to have that capital infusion. And that, that may be a decision that's up to the, the entrepreneur at the end of the day. But, um, you know, I think more often than not, 
having some speed and having some some capital on board makes a lot of sense. And it could be debt capital too. It doesn't have to be equity investment. Um, you know, you can go out and get loans and and, and grow that way. Just you know, depends on your cash profile and if you have the the business to to pay off the debt. But um, yeah, lots of options, and that's why modeling so important. It's just kind of you, you look at different scenarios. You say, hey, this is this is the most likely scenario. This is the best case. This is the worst case. You know, are you going to survive in that worst case scenario? And if not, okay, well, well, why not? And you know, maybe we need to figure some other things out. So um, that's the benefit of of having that that kind of that foresight and being able to to figure out in advance, you know, what's the best way to go. Nice. Yep. And it all comes down to planning again. So making sure you have that, that understood. So awesome, Todd. Well, we are uh, right about a time and there's a couple of questions. Last questions I, I have for you. Okay. The first off is we didn't even hit on it, but you've written a book called The Adventure Consultant. And uh, I know that people are probably going to be curious about that. So I want them to know one that you, you did write the book, The Adventure Consultant, Tales from the Entrepreneurial Trail. And also, how can people reach out to you? How can they get in touch with you? All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, uh, I wrote that book. It was really kind of an accident, but I had a, a golden retriever for 14 years, and you know, we traveled everywhere. I took this dog all over the, the country, from Alaska to Mexico, and everywhere in between. Uh, when he passed away, I kind of I just started jotting down some ideas about you know, just to try to remember some some of the stuff that we had done, uh, and, and then it just kind of morphed into this writing project, and and I started writing about kind of my entire experience of going through business school and and going through the corporate things that I went through. And uh, so it's kind of autobiographical, but it's also, you know, a a tale about business as well. And, uh, you know, I hope to, you know, it lets people know a little bit about who I am and also, um, you know, maybe it'll inspire some, some of the next generation coming up behind us that, you know, that it can be a lot of fun. It can be an adventure. It's not just about work. Yeah, you got to roll up your sleeves and work really hard, but you can also have a lot of fun in the process. So that's kind of thing. And if people want to reach out to me, I do, there's a, a site for the book called theadventureconsultant.com, or they can go to bluehorizonvc.com and check us out. Uh, we'd love to help out anybody who's, who's in need of help. Awesome. Todd, thank you so much. I really appreciate having you on here and, and your time. Um, I'm looking forward to reading the book. I apologize. I, I didn't even realize that you had that because we hadn't really talked about that before uh, setting this thing up, but I'm looking forward to getting a copy of that and reading through it and knowing a little bit about that. Cause I agree, you know, nothing, nothing worse than spending your entire life in the office and not enjoying the fruits of your labor. So work hard, play hard. Let's have a good time doing this and let's make an impact while we're at it. So again, Todd, thank you very much for being here. E-Rock, thank you. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Great experience and great insights, Todd. Thanks for sharing your wisdoms. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen. And we'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes for you. So go ahead and head over to angelinvestorsnetwork.com and go to the podcast page to see the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions with your host, Jeff Barnes, brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Go to www.angelnetwork.com for tools, resources, show notes, and more, as well as our free training on how to become a successful angel investor and entrepreneur.